You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. Good evening and thanks for joining me, Sharon Noonan, for tonight's Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102. If you're just back from Taste of Dublin over the weekend, I hope you enjoyed it. Thanks to everyone who entered our competition to win tickets and congratulations to our winners, Elva Ford and Yvonne Carty. Before I tell you what's coming up on tonight's show, here is how you can contact me. Drop me an email, s.noonan at live.ie or tweet me at Queen of Org, which is short for organisation. I love getting your feedback and comments as well as your reviews, recipes and news. Bit of a mouthful, that. OK, back to what is coming up on tonight's show. I'm going to be chatting to Gail Porter of Lizzie May's Cookies and Cakes. In terms of events this weekend, we're going to focus in on the Be A Lover event which is taking place in Athenry and we might even have time for a bit of opportune music to play us out given that Athenry is the venue. Geraldine will be reporting from the Kingdom but first the Brehens head chef Chad Byrne returns to the best possible taste studio to talk about his signature dish. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. We're delighted to welcome Chef Chad Byrne from Killarney's Brehan Hotel to the best possible taste. Hello, Chad. Hello, how are you? You're going to talk to us now about your signature dish. But before we get into the specifics of that, I want to ask you, do most chefs have a signature dish in your experience? Um, to be fair, mo- most would have something that, like any, any decent chef that's worth his salt, so to speak, would have a, a dish that he's known for in a good restaurant. And the restaurant becomes, obviously known for that dish so and it carries a bit of weight it shows what the chef is it shows what his principles are about food if it's complex dish if it's molecular gastronomy or if it's a simple dish you know it's it shows it's a reflection of who the chef is and your signature dish now that we're going to talk about in a minute is that has that always been your signature dish no matter where you've worked or is it just since you came to the Brehan Hotel in Killarney um, I, I have done it before but as with any signature dish I suppose it evolves with time and um, but I'd say since I've been in the Breton, which has been a fantastic career move for me personally, um, that's been the standout dish that people have come back for more again and again and again. So, Now, you're very young to be a head chef. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> Where have you been before you came to the Breton? Um, just, well, I'm young, well, I'm 35, but I've been cooking for 18 years, so I have a lot of experience in the kitchen. But uh, before here, I was in, I was head chef in the Hilton in Dublin. I was over three hotels in Dublin for three years. Before that, I was in the Clarion in Cork and Lapsky as head chef. And prior to that, I was in Adair in the Dunraven Arms. Big shout out to Dunraven Arms. Woo. <laughs> Are you a West Limerick man? No, but I used to spend my summers down here. Uh, my granny was from Old Kalima, chasing the pheasant in the, chasing the pheasant in the field, to be fair. It was great crack. A farming? Was that in a farm? Uh, no, it was in the middle of nowhere and there was a field and she used to tell us to go out and chase the pheasant because okay. we were doing our head in. So. As, as one does. So now you're in the Brehan. How long have you been there? I've uh, been there two and a half years now. And tell us about your signature dish there. Um, well, originally it was sea bass, but sea uh, bass has gotten so popular now at the moment that it's it's usually farmed in, so it's not it's not wild sea bass. And if it was to get wild sea bass in, we'd be charging fifty fifty five euro for the for the dish. So I've changed I've changed the dish over now to wreckfish, which isn't a really 
attractive name, but it's also known as stone bass, which is, it's wild to the Irish shores. It's more succulent than sea bass. It's bigger, but it's just less well known. Now, just explain to the listeners about sea bass and stone bass. Are they saltwater or freshwater fish? Uh, saltwater fish. Uh, sea bass, wild sea bass invariably is a nice large fish. It's quite meaty, juicy. There's a lot of flavour to it, but the sea bass that we'd get in any restaurant now, per se, would be fillets of 120 gram 200 gram and they're they're all farmed fish like they're they're not wild so i prefer to get local fish and to make sure that it's fresh it's not farmed there's a totally different flavor and texture to the fish as well and where do you source it from uh union hall market that's down in cork in cork so you'd be a big supporter of buying local ingredients? Uh, wherever, like wherever we can. Obviously, I can't get a mango locally. It'll, it'll be shipped in, but wherever I can, I, I will. And, you know, we've got fantastic producers down there, like who we get our fish from, Spillans down there. Unbelievable quality. So you get your stone bass fish in, and what do you do to prepare it? Um, first, all our fish comes in whole, so we can make nice stocks for other, for other dishes, etc. But uh, with the stone bass dish... Basically, it's when it comes in. Obviously, you check, make sure everything's good. With it. You'd scale the fish, you'd, you'd dry it, you'd pad it, uh, you'd gut the fish, take all the innards out. Um, you can use some of the innards for like you can you, you can smoke the roe for a pate or whatever like that. You know, it's gone a bit technical, I suppose. But what size of a fish is it? Um, they range in size from about one one point five kg to anything up to seven or eight kg, which is so. In terms of length, or compared to maybe like a salmon or a uh, trout or a mackerel, what would you compare uh, they, it to? I would say. They range in size from a sea trout up to a large salmon. Okay, so there's a, a, a huge variation in well, size they, well, there. Well, exactly, because they are wild, so you're not sure what you're going to get sometimes. Okay. Um, so, basically, you have a tray, a flat tray. Well, it's, I'll tell you the dish. The dish is, it's a salt-baked sea bass, or salt-baked stone bass with a citrus fruit and fennel salad and a salsa verde. Um, so basically, you'll have a tray. You'll have your fish. You'd put your trish on. You'd put your fish on the tray in the in the underbelly where you've gutted the fish. You can put whatever you wanted to put. For me personally, I rubbed the inside of the fish with sumac, uh, fennel pollen, and lemon. Uh, sumac is like a citrusy herb, which is it's it, it's a dried red berry, but it's very very citrusy and very pungent. It's beautiful. Where does it come from? Uh, it, it usually comes from the Adriatic, and it goes as far down as the Middle East. But it's if you can get it, it's in most Indian shops. I can't I can't get it myself uh, through our suppliers. I have to go to an Indian shop and get it. But it's amazing if you can get your hands on it. Well worth it. Um, basically, you'd have salt in a separate container. You'd rub you'd rub the salt with a little bit of egg white. If you didn't have egg white a little bit of water or lemon juice. I put caraway seeds into the salt as well because it's a beautiful perfume for the fish. On that tray where the fish is, you'd rub the salt together so it's like almost like a dry cement mix. You'd put it over the fish and you'd bake the fish. Basically covered it, totally covered. There's no, It sounds like it's going to be very salty, but it's not because you take the skin off the fish after it's cooked. So you're covering it with this salt cement type mixture. Yeah, ex- exactly, until there's no air. It's just totally covered. You bang that in the oven at about 180 degrees for roughly for a kilo of fish or 1.5, 30 minutes. So until the salt until the salt goes brown on top, that's when you know. So it's it's a dummy-free dish. And the way that you cook it, it's real, it's, I suppose, the flavour is really, really intense. And the herbs that we use are light, but also give a beautiful, aggress- not aggressive edge, but a mellow edge to the fish as well. But um, yeah, so basically you'd stick it in the oven 
when when the salt is brown it's ready take it out and what we do in the breton we crack it we, we bring it out to the guest like that so we crack it at the table and we take the skin off at the table which is nice it's nice for the guests to see how it's done there's a little bit of theatrics to it as well so and we'd serve that with uh, citrus segments it'd be grapefruit uh, orange and mandarin is what we do we peel take the segments off so there's no white pith or anything like that and we shave fennel as finely as we can on a mandolin or a slicer or at home you probably have a sharp knife just really really fine mix it together with some chives some sorrel salt pepper a little bit of zest from the lemon olive oil and basically that's it and the sauce that we serve with that is a salsa verde which which basically can be anything salsa verde it's green salsa but what we do is we use coriander, basil, parsley, uh, gherkins, garlic, lemon zest, anchovies. An- I use the anchovies because if you add salt to it, it'll go black in an hour or two, which is no good. So the anchovies give a lovely saltiness to it without the spirit, without changing the colour. Um, and a handful of gherkins, it doesn't matter quantities, it's what the person wants. It's If it's more basil, if it's more parsley, whatever it is, if it's more gherkin, whatever. And it's just olive oil to mix, and you just blitz it up until it's like a puree, a totally green puree, but it's so fresh, it's zingy, it's it's lovely. And whenever that comes out to the restaurant, when the, the waiter brings it out to the diner, they bring it out? Yeah, they bring it out in a platter. Uh, they, they and the fish is whole? The, fi- the fish is whole. And is that one serving, or is it for two people to share? Um, it, it depends on the size of the fish that comes in. If we have if we have small fish coming in, it'll be for one. If it's not, we'll cut the fish down to size so it's for one for one portion. But if there's a table that wants the whole fish, it's brilliant because the whole restaurant is looking at that particular table. And you know, if you're if you have a dresser there and there's one or two waiters cracking a load of salt, there's a bit of action. It's you know, it's fun. It's what you want to eat. When, like if your if your date isn't going too good and there's a bit of interaction, you're gonna go, oh, Jesus, I can talk about that now for a while. Do you know? <laughs> yeah. No, I I mean I love fish, but. You know, I'm useless whenever the fish comes to me whole about getting the meat off, like sardines and things like that, which I love. I'm not very good at actually getting the flesh off without getting the bones with it. So it's great that the waiter actually does all that for the, for yeah, the diner. Yeah, 100%. Exactly. But, but not even like if, you know, if you're going to a fishmonger, it's just time to do it. You know, even in Duns or if it's Tesco or whatever it is, like my mother, Jesus, she wouldn't have to do it, but like... If she if she asks, they'll they'll do it for you. You know, they've sharp knives there, and the best tool in any chef's kitchen is a sharp knife. That ne- not necessarily that you'd have at home. And that process of cooking it in the salt is something that you could do with a lot of other fish, I presume. Uh, fish, vegetables, you 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 name it. Like if there, there was a dish that we used to have in the restaurant was uh, salt baked parsnips with a uh, brie brie pear and chicory, but. The intensity from baking it in the salt, it's, it, it basically reduces the size of the parsnip, but it's just so, so intense. Like, it's it's an unbelievable flavor. It's, it's an unbelievable way to cook veg, and it's, you know, I suppose, history. Back in it, like, to me, it's a simple dish, and it is a simple dish, but through history, I suppose, it's got simpler because, you know, salt was very expensive back then, so... Well, I can see Geraldine there saying, right, Sharon, finish up so we can go home and make some of that for our tea tonight. And we really appreciate you coming all the way from Killarney to tell us about it. And hopefully you'll come back soon. No bother. Thanks very much. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleinte. We're moving now from fish to cookies. It's been a few weeks since we talked to a producer, so I'm going to put a call into Gail Porter of Lizzie May's Cookies and Cakes. 
Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. At the Ballymaloo Lit Fest, I had the chance to meet a number of emerging food producers. One of these was Gail Porter, and you might remember the snippet of my chat with her in the Ballymaloo Report a few weeks back. Well, Gail's enterprise is called Lizzie May's Cookies and Cakes, and she's on the line now. Good evening, Gail. Good evening, Sharon. Thanks for having me on. Before we talk in detail about your products, tell us about your background, because your journey to starting your company is quite an interesting one. It's it's been pretty varied, yeah. Um, I started off with a business and languages degree, uh, which I finished about fourteen years ago now, and um, did various office jobs really over the years for about nine years after that. So I'd worked in anything from basic admin to project management, all sorts and loads of different industries. And uh, I think I must have had a bit of a fit when I turned thirty, and uh, I was getting more and more obsessed with food. So I decided just to, to go for it and did the Ballymaloo course and the, the 12-week course in Ballymaloo and that was a, a total life changer really. Um, I chefed for a couple of years then in Galway when I finished that and got some experience in that and the decorating has been as much of a surprise to me as to anybody else I knew I wanted to bake um, when I started the business um, and I, I've baked since I was little. And that's the, the things that I enjoyed most about the cafe that, that I'd been working in and, and chefing in. Um, and I, I did a very brief one-day course in, in how to cover a cake in sugar paste, in case anybody ever asked, and actually enjoyed it. And So it's kind of come on from there, but it's been a pretty varied background up until then. <laughs> now, the 12-week course at Ballymaloo, they say, is, is fairly intense. Did it cover this cookie-cake type of baking that you've actually ended up having your business in? No, it didn't. I was actually in Ballymaloo a few weeks ago teaching the teachers, so I taught a master class on cookie decorating um, because it, I, it may be something that they decide to teach themselves at some point. But no, they, they don't really go into um, into sugarcraft, or at least it's not something that they've done very much of, of to date. Um, I can see them moving more into that perhaps in, in the future. I hope so. Um, I think it would be a good string for their bow. So does the 12-week course there cover all sorts of different things, but it's quite high level. You have to be fairly skilled to get through that 12 weeks. Is that right? Well, there was students there who had barely lifted a wooden spoon before, I think, at the beginning. So it really does cater for all levels. I mean, there was everybody from um, 18-year-olds straight out of school to you know, people that had been working as chefs. Um, so it, it kind of caters for all sorts of levels. And... They do. It is really intensive. Like it is exhausting, but it was it was fantastic. And did you re- relocate down to Ballymaloo for the twelve weeks? I, I did. Yeah, I I got a very last minute place on the course. Um, I was actually on holiday the week beforehand, and I put my name on the waiting list as I'd been made redundant like about three weeks previously. Um, but the course was full, and I put my name down in the waiting list. Went on the holiday I had planned when they said they were all full up, and then got a call about two days before the course started say that a place had come up and um, so I was very lucky to actually get a place uh, available in the, the accommodation at the school in one of the cottages um, so yeah oh, oh, lock, stock and barrel yet yeah, moved down to Cork for, for three months <laughs> Can I just ask you what is the financial investment to do a course at Ballymaloo? Uh, it's pretty significant um, it was a little less when I did it a few years back um, I think the current price is, is a little over €10,000 for the 12 week course um, and then your accommodation and so on on top of that. But it is worth every cent. Um, 
so, say that lightly either, but it is, it is worth every cent. Yes, because it is, as you say, that was an investment for you and it was a life-changing experience for you. So it was it was worth you making that investment. And here you know you are now with Lizzie May's cookies and cakes. Tell us about the name. Uh, Lizzie and May were my grannies. So um, yeah, Lizzie was my mum's mum, who was, was a great baker. She she always baked. There was always buns in her cupboard. And uh, and May was my dad's mum, and she just made the best dinners. And I just thought it'd be really nice to have something family focused for the name. And I was sitting actually on Gary Vaux Beach, funnily enough, in in down about when I was down at Ballymaloo, and I was kind of scribbling down names and. Um, the, the, yeah, the sound of those two names together just sounded really good to me, so it stuck. <laughs> now, the cookies that you do aren't just any old cookies. No, <laughs> no, they're not. Um, I, I do find it a little hard to explain sometimes exactly what I do. I'm sure that when I say I do decorated cookies, that for the most part, people are thinking they're gingerbread cookies or chocolate chip or something like that. But um, yeah, they're very decorative. Um, they're all decorated. They're buttery vanilla cookies, and they're all decorated by hand with royal icing. Uh, so they can be quite intricate. They can be um, they can be anything at all. Like I would quite regularly do cartoon characters or uh, logos, um, anything at all, really. Um, but they can be very intricate. Yeah, they're very decorative. So when you say logos, that would be very much for the corporate market. That would be very much for the corporate market. Yeah, um, and anybody who's down in Ballymaloe might have at the Litfest may have seen some Kerrygold cookies on the go um, so I would have made those there was a lot of butter me up and I love butter type cookies <laughs> on the go that weekend um, so yeah the, for corporate the logos definitely um, corporate or charity sometimes as well I made some for the Cycle Against Suicide group um, recently uh, when they were coming into Galway um, so yeah it, it can go they can be anything <laughs> Wedding Favours is another one Wedding Favours for sure yeah um they, yeah, they, I design every order, um, so every order is different. And they can tie in, like for a wedding, they would tie in with maybe the invitation or the, just the theme and the feel of the day. You could even pick up patterns from the dress. Um, and then they're, they're great as gifts as well. So I would make um, like gifts for, for birthdays or for um, for a new mum rather than buying her a baby grow or, you know, a, a, a an outfit for the child. Um, people are, are starting now to order cookies as a gift to get posted to her. Um, and they're obviously very personalised as well. So, you know, they've got her name and the baby's name and probably the other siblings' names as well and anything at all. Now, because of the amount of work that goes into them, like to do one cookie, like the Ballymaloo Litfest cookie, how long would it take you to do one of those, to ice one of those? Um, the Litfest one would have been the most intricate one probably I had for sale that day and they, they would probably have taken about 10 minutes each um, maybe not quite that but thereabouts um, but yeah they, the more intricate the detail is obviously the, the longer they take so they can take anything from maybe 3 minutes to maybe 20 minutes or half an hour if I was doing something really detailed So how much does that make them then because that must affect the cost <laughs> It does for sure. I try to keep them as low as possible. And what I what I would do is um, I tend to work in sets. So if somebody ordered, let's say, a dozen cookies and they wanted some really intricate cookies as part of that, I would also include probably some more simple cookies to try and make it as cost effective as possible. So my my prices would range from the, at the price of a cookie would would range from maybe two fifty to five euro per cookie. Um, 
and then that would mean that a set of a dozen might cost anything from say 30 to maybe 50 or at the top end 55 euro a dozen it would be totally personalized and all handmade and do you do do this all at home in your own kitchen at home i do indeed i got registered with the hse as soon as i set up the business and to see what i could and couldn't do so i do everything from my own kitchen here in galway yep because Um, i think sorry um, I post the cookies around the country as well, so I'm I'm not tied to a local market with those either, which is great. Because I think a lot of people think, oh, like I like bacon cakes, so I'm going to start bacon cakes and I'm going to sell them. But it's not as straightforward as that. There is quite a lot of red tape. There's a bit of red tape. I mean, I wouldn't want to scare people off doing that either, because I think it's great to be able to start up your business from home. Um, you do need to get in touch with the HSE and arrange for them to come out and do a visit and check that everything's okay and check that you've got everything you need and so that you can they can tell you what records you need to keep and so on. Um, but they should be there to help as well. So I wouldn't want to discourage people from going down that route. But it is a huge amount of work as well. I think it's very easy to think, I make cakes, I'll, I'll start making cakes at home, it'll be grand. But it's, it's a lot of work. It's a huge amount of work. So, you know, you need to be aware of that as well, I think. And what's the biggest challenge you face on a daily basis in your business? Trying to get everything done, I think. I'm literally doing everything from answering the emails that come in, looking for, for quotes and prices and so on. And when you try to market your business and get it out there and actually do the creative work as well, to try and cover everything, um with one person can sometimes be that's the biggest challenge I think is just there aren't enough hours in the day at times so um, yeah trying to have all of the hats on it can be tough and your vision for the business what do you hope to see it achieve in the next five years Um, I would like to be comfortably supporting myself with the business for a start Um, that would be great and it would be really nice to see cookies becoming more um, more common as a gift, because I, I see them in the States and they're, they're a great gift and they're, they're quite common over there as a present. And I would love to see them become a bit more common over here. Um, they're still something that's quite unusual and people aren't used to seeing. So I would love to be the, the go-to cookie person for Ireland. That, that would be great. I, I'd love to just make them, them more popular. I, mean, I do cakes as well, so I, I shouldn't probably only be talking about the cookies, but the cookies are my first love, I think. And they're more novel, aren't they, than the cakes? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely more novel. Um, definitely just uh, something new. Well, Gail Porter, a.k.a. the go-to cookie person, lizzymays.ie is your website, and we wish you continued success. Thank you very much, Sharon. appreciate that. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. From Gale in Galway to Geraldine in Kerry, it's the Kingdom Report coming up next, so don't go anywhere. Now, Geraldine O'Sullivan brings you some tasty treats from the Kingdom. World Cup fever is gripping many households around Ireland at the moment. This year, Brazil is hosting the World Cup and we're joined by Charlie from Mario in northeast of Brazil, who will give us an insight into the food there. Welcome, Charlie. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about where you're from in Brazil, what it's like. I'm in front of a place called Imperatriz. 
It's in the state called Maranhão. It's in the northeast Brazil. It's a little bit down the equator line, so it's very hot place. Really, really hot. And the humidity as well. <laughs> so how many degrees? Around four o'clock, it must get 40 degrees Celsius, 37, 40 degrees Celsius. So if you have a shower, when you come out of the shower, you are sweating. <laughs> we don't know if you wet, but sweat or the water. Yeah, the shower. You need to have another shower. <laughs> you have another shower. <laughs> and how many people live there? Is it a big place? It's a big place. Yeah, it is around 300,000 people. And uh, yeah, it's, it's, it must be the same size of, uh, let me see, what city here. Oh, Limerick, yeah. Limerick, maybe, yeah. yeah. Maybe, yeah. And um, how long have you been in Ireland? Seven years. <laughs> seven years, so you're Just you're seven. acclimatized. And Brazil is quite a large country. Tell us about the influences on food there. Yes, uh, the, one of the influence of Brazil is the Indians. The natural Indians, the people, the original from Brazil. And the so they have some kind of mandioca, it's a cassava. Some people know, know for cassava. It's, what does that mean? It's like kind of potato. It's like a white potato. Normally we don't eat it straight away from the earth. You can get poisoned. Some people have to wash. And the, I don't know the thing is the rice. That's the people in Brazil, everyone know about rice and the beans. So. Everybody in Brazil eats rice and beans. If you're Brazilian, that's you know what's that. That's a big part of your diet. <laughs> yeah, there is a lot of different um, other nationalities as well, like Portuguese and Spanish, and that. Does that yeah. influence the food? Yeah, and the salt Brazil, like German Germans colonized the salt Brazil. So the food, the food in the salt Brazil, it is more like German food. Yeah. So and some food from the north, the people in the south did not know they exist, and the same thing the old way. Uh, but uh, yeah, most Germany, a little Portuguese, and the Spanish, it's a very big influence in the food in Brazil. Yeah. And what times of the day do people have their meals? Is it similar to Ireland? It's a breakfast around between seven and eight o'clock in the morning. So we have uh, one of the biggest dinner at 1 o'clock and another one around 7 and the 8 p.m. Yeah? Yeah. And, and so some people go up to the fridge in the night time if not enough. <laughs> so the cookie, the cookie monsters. <laughs> yeah, the cookie monsters. <laughs> and do, is there still siesta time or is that there anymore? Huh? Is there a siesta time in the afternoon? No, no, no. This is it. Can you give us an example for each meal? What would be typical to have? Uh, barbecue is churrasco, we call over there. It's uh, most everywhere in Brazil, the people know barbecue. And the, today, I'm sure 100,000 people are going to make a barbecue during the game. And the another thing is a really solid barbecue. <laughs> really, really solid. So you drink and you eat barbecue or something else. You eat and drink for compensation. But it's, yeah, barbecue, it's one of the last thing. And what about for breakfast? What do people have? The normal, they have a bread, we have French bread. And uh, and the North Brazil, where I'm coming from, the people have a couscous. 
for breakfast. For breakfast. It's a lost thing. We have a cheese bread in the middle of Brazil, around Brazil series, a cheese bread. To be honest, in the salt, I didn't know what they have to the breakfast. I've never been there in the breakfast time. So. And in terms of meat, what would be popular meat and vegetables that are used? And steak. Steak, it's, it's a large thing. There. And fish for who's living the coast. And uh, we have another dish called feijoada. Feijoada, it's, uh, it's a traditional in Brazil. Everybody knows to feijoada. It's made from pig and black beans and the cassava, a mandioca. <laughs> it's nice. Everybody yeah. enjoys it. Is that a stew? Yeah. I remember in around uh, 2000, the Holland team was playing a friend in Brazil and they ate too much cassava. So I don't know if I have to tell this now, but lost the player had diarrhea. Oh, really? So be careful. <laughs> you can't eat too much. You and, and is cassava like potato or what? Yeah, it's like potato. Yeah, like potatoes. Uh, strong taste, but just if we're gonna compare, it's a potato from Brazil. Yeah, that would be kind of similar to our potato. Yeah. And what do you think of Irish cooking? It's nice. I like fish and chips. <laughs> And uh, uh, the carbs and uh, bacon. It's yeah. nice. I, remember, I have a friend in Port Miggy. Every time I go there, his wife gives me carbs and potato. And enjoy. It's like, it's nice. It's, yeah. I like it. nice, yeah. Do you think we eat too many potatoes? I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and tell us about the drinks then in Brazil. What drinks are popular? Uh, cachaça. And some kind of... I don't know if this is the name, poaching. It's a pure alcohol. So the people made a drink called caipirinha. Men who haven't been in Brazil know what I'm talking about. It's some kind of cocktail with lemon, sugar, and a drink and ice. It's nice. It's for who's like it, it's nice. But it's sweet. For the fact to be sweet, the people start to drink lots and lots and lots. And they get really drunk. And they never forget. Gosh, so oh, yeah. They remember that. <laughs> they remember forever. And that's kind of a rice wine, is it? Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a major from kind of sugar. Yeah. Extra kind of sugar. It's uh, sugar kind of. It's nice. Yeah. And I, what about uh, wine and beer? Are they popular? Yeah. It's, it's uh, some beers. It's nice. We can buy Brazilian beers here. But we found... Brazilian beer, but don't taste the same. I don't know why. It must be the water. Don't taste the same? <laughs> no. No, it's like maybe the Guinness, when we it goes to different countries, it doesn't taste the yeah, same either. Is, yeah, it must be the same thing. Yeah, it's completely different. So, and the wine we have, but the people drink lots of wine. Wines in the Christmas parts and New Year's Eve, you know, not in the like cele- celebration, like tonight. The game is so at night it's beer and the barbecue, nothing else. Yeah, <laughs> nothing else matters. <laughs> no. And what about coffee? Is that the most popular hot drink? Yeah, everybody drink coffee. There. It's, I mean, few people only drink tea. If you go to the supermarket, I don't know if you're gonna find uh, tea bags in the in the shop. And in terms of eating out, then in restaurants, would people eat out a lot? 
lots. Like uh, 10-15 years ago, the people normally don't go to moon outside to drink in the night or during the day. But now, if you or if you go in Brazil, so 24 hours restaurant, and you can't see the people's getting bigger. <laughs> so they eat lots now, and they get it. Could be a, a problem in the future. I can't see that anything everywhere you go with small restaurant and the people sell in the street you do if you go to the beach somebody have a big uh, airboard box full food so you just chose in the art is, is rice and beans and the steak uh, fried egg and, yeah no, nice a mixture <laughs> mix everything at home in the households in brazil is it traditional for the man or the woman to do the cooking or both both do the cooking yeah, yeah it's not woman do everything anymore <laughs> only a few years back like my mother's time my grandmother now the lady uh, and the day the match came in the soccer, soccer time so probably the lady goes to the kitchen yeah, <laughs> yeah, because she doesn't want to watch the soccer all the time. There's no excuse. Sorry. Yeah. And in terms of your own cooking, what's your favorite dish to cook? I like steak. I like steak and rice. I make two or three days a week a fried, a fried steak with garlic and lemon. And, yeah. and do you find a big difference between Irish steak and steak you get in Brazil? Yeah, it's a quite different. Yeah, it's a little bit quite different. I think the Irish one is more soft. If you're gonna eat it soft, Brazil is kind of hard. So, but depending how you are, you don't feel the difference. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and in terms of the World Cup, obviously we're all watching the matches that are on over the next few weeks. Do you think that Brazil will win? Mm, no, I don't think so. I think German is the best team to win the World Cup. Okay. Because they are really, they play really. I watched the game last day and they play like he play here in the Ireland and they qualify. They cold, they are cold team. They, they play when they play away from the sport, they play better. So when more pressure in the gym, better they're going to play. <laughs> so it's a different to the others. Brazil, they're completely nervous and they know the Brazil is like a. I don't know, it's like a bomb now, nearly exploding. And if they lose the World Cup, boom, everything's gone, like everything's gone. And the, I can see the emotion in the players, bad, bad, very bad. There's a lot of pressure. Too much pressure, yeah, too mm. much pressure. So your money's on Germany? If I had my money put in Germany. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Thank you very much. Thank you for well, coming in to us. In. Yeah, well, thanks. Cheers. Chin chin. Salut. Schleiter. When Helen McDeed from Fulcher Ireland reported the June events this month, she talked about Be a Lover, which is taking place in Athenry on Saturday the 21st and Sunday the 22nd of June. I'm joined by organiser Liam Hennigan, who is going to tell us more about the event in detail. Good evening, Liam. Good evening, how are you? Liam, Be a Lover, it's a great name. How did the idea for the event come about? Uh, well, I suppose the idea for the event came about just as producers ourselves, it can be difficult to find somewhere to showcase your product. Um, and I suppose with that then the name, we were just trying to think of something that would catch people's attention. 
and uh, yeah, one day that just popped into our heads, and there, there we went. It, it was one that sticks in people's minds. And is this the first year of it? This is the first year of it, yeah. We have run other craft events locally in, that, in the past, but this is the first time that we've cranked it up a bit and kept it more on the food end. So what can people expect over the two days? Uh, well, like that, we have um, we've producers coming from around the, from right around the country with everything from um, from your fruit and veg, meat, sausages, cheeses, sauces, jellies. Um, so there's a there's a good range of products available, and um, I think we have all four provinces represented as well, which is nice. That's fantastic. So you're going to have a wide range, not only of products, but of personalities and accents there. Uh, absolutely, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have um, we've harnessed oil from Northern Ireland have booked in, so um, they do a fantastic range of um, your hemp and rapeseed oils, uh, which would be infused with various different uh, fruits and stuff. So it's... Um, quite an interesting run and um, certainly something that isn't available locally here in, in the West and we have a local French guy doing um, that does a full range of baguettes and um, your French breads and pastries um, from that to uh, like I said cheeses we have hearty foods from um, from Tralee are coming up to us with a range of pepper jellies and uh, you know, we're still taking bookings on a daily basis, which is nice. So certainly if there's anybody out there listening that might be interested, they should get in touch with you and um, you will have space there for them? Uh, we will do. We, we certainly will have space for them. We have enough room for 70 traders. Um, and if we could fill that in the first year, it would be absolutely unbelievable. But uh, we should have, we're looking like we'll have uh, somewhere between 40 and 50 traders. That's fantastic. Yeah. Now, you have a couple of interesting competitions going on. That's right, yeah. Um, we have a couple of schools competitions on. Um, it's always nice to get the kids involved. Uh, so we have, for the primary schools and that, we have a bulk all hour competition, which is just encouraging the kids to read an Irish book and bake a cake with the help of the mammies and daddies, of course, to, um, that, that would be themed on the book. And we've had a fantastic response from the schools locally here now to um, to push that with the kids. And seems like there's going to be a we might have more cakes than we'd bargained for with that one. Um, and there will be an iPad as a prize for that, so a fairly decent prize. Absolutely, the effort. super prize. Yeah, and um, secondary school competition, same way. It would be for the secondary school kids much simpler because. Uh, we all know their attention span. So we decided on just a simple photography competition, anything that's food orientated. We left it completely open, just have food involved somewhere in it. And we'll have um, a local photojournalist will be judging that one for us. And likewise, an iPad as a prize. Excellent. And then you have some cookery demonstrations? We'll have some, demo- some demonstrations on the... Sunday. Initially, we were going to have the cookery demonstrations on Saturday and Sunday, um, but we um, now have RT coming to shoot a new TV series on the 
Saturday. So um, cookery demonstrations will be on Sunday and we'll have a range of local chefs um, doing demonstrations from restaurants from, from Galway, Athenry and indeed a couple from, um, from further up the province as well. Can you tell us more about what RT is up to on the Saturday? I can indeed, yes. It's, um, there's a, it's in conjunction with Little, they're recording a uh, Taste of Success is the name of the TV program, um, where there is a where Little are basically looking for somebody to, or for a new product to put on their shelves. Um, and with that, it's um, the overall prize is a hundred thousand euros. So it's quite a quite a generous prize. Substantial amount of money. Um, it is indeed. Yeah, there's fifty fifty thousand cash. And then twenty thousand for product development, and another minimum of twenty five thousand in product royalties, um, and of course the opportunity to get your food product on a hundred and forty supermarket shelves across the country. Um, so there's information about that is on our website or indeed on the RT website. Uh, so that the but any trader, anybody that has. Um, any kind of a, 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 a product that they think is unique or that, and that would have mass appeal, it's certainly um, something worth going for. Uh, the, the filming of it will be taking place over four locations uh, throughout the summer and uh, we're the, I, I think we're the first location that they're going ahead with. So are there actually going to be people there on that Saturday with these products that they've developed for people to tea or for the RTE people to taste? That's exactly it, yeah. yeah. So they'll be there uh, with um, to display their products, um, have some samples for members of the public and RTE. Uh, Paul Flynn, of course, as uh, the chef that's associated with Little will be present as will um, the chef from, I think it is from the uh, Lock Early Hotel in, um, in Enniskillen. Okay. Oh yeah, that's Noel McNeil. Noel McNeil, that's the one, yeah. Okay. All right, so the cookery demonstrations then are on Sunday because RT is going to be there on Saturday, which is, is a huge boost for the festival itself, I would imagine. It is a massive boost for the festival and like that for for RT for filming purposes as well they're looking for members of the public so it's what to um, come in and have a have, have a look have a sample and it will I suppose help them and help their chefs uh, pick a product that would be suitable as um, to go forward in the competition okay now families we were talking there about the competition that you have for the children primary school and secondary school and obviously RTE being there is all, always a huge attraction I think for people wanting to get their kiddies on TV but what other activities are lined up for the children over the two days? Uh, well we've Thoreau Pet Farm which would be a, a local pet farm they're established for I think their 21st year now um, and they'll be bringing along a selection of animals for the small kids there for, to, have, to have a little petting zoo for them um, on top of that, a local community arts group, Glinder, will have stilters um, going around and will also be doing face painting um, with balloon artists. Um, and then, weather permitting, we will have hot air balloon rides as well. Oh, wow. So, it's, uh, so, there's a, so there's a bit of something there for kids from 
102 to 102. Excellent. <laughs> and tell me, for you, what is your personal highlight of the weekend? What are you most looking forward to? Um, well, the atmosphere. <laughs> I suppose more than anything else. Just having a bit of a buzz around town. Um, Dan's Bar are putting on a fish night as well, so I'll certainly be booking a ticket for that. Um, town Cafe are putting on a special meal on the Saturday evening as well. They normally don't open up in the evening time. So there's a bit of there's plenty of food options on around the town, um, and it's just just a bit of a buzz. That's the main reason that we've done it is just try to um, every town now around is quieter than it should be the way, with the. With the way things are in the economy, and so it, anything that just gives and anywhere a lift gets people out, gets and, and just builds up the atm- and the atmosphere around the place would be fantastic. Is there a charge to go to events? No, it's, it's free. It's free to the public. The um, schools competitions as well, same way, they're free to enter. Um, the only costs involved are the um, if you want to buy something that catches your eye at any of the stalls. Well, and where in Athenry will we find you then? It is in the park on front of Athenry Castle. Okay, lovely. Nice setting. A beautiful setting, and there is a full playground to one side of it as well, so I suppose that's an extra thing that's 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 there on top of what we're providing. You have the, the community council have a full playground there also. And if listeners want to get more information, the website is bealover.ie and all the details are there. All the details are on that, yep. Liam, thanks for talking to us this evening and all the best with it. You're more than welcome now, thank you. You're listening to The Best Possible Taste on West Limerick 102 FM. If you're a lover of food events, like the Be A Lover one that we just talked about, then I suspect you won't be a lover of calorie counting and you're not alone in that regard, as I found out from my next guest when we talked about the online menu cal. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. The Minister of Health, Dr James Riley, recently launched MenuCal, a new online tool that works out the calories in dishes. We talked to Dr Mary Flynn, Chief Specialist Public Health Nutrition with the Food Safety Authority of Ireland, about it a month or so back, and now we're going to hear the response to it from the hospitality industry, thanks to Patricia Roberts from One Perry Square. And Patricia, you're welcome tonight in your capacity as Chairperson of the Restaurant Association of Ireland in Munster. Thank you. Patricia, is it fair to say that Menu Cal has not been welcomed by open arms by many hotels and restaurants? Absolutely. Yeah, you're dead right. It's creating a storm in the industry at the moment. Um, As you can appreciate, it has many issues for restaurants um, or for anybody in the food industry. Um, There's so many different categories of restaurants in the industry. It's it's nearly an impossibility um, for people to introduce in branded chains, you can understand how it can be a selling point for some for some um, businesses. But in the smaller artisan business, um, which is the backbone of Ireland, it's nearly impossible. And plus, you have you know there's so many issues attached to it. But one of the biggest issues I see is the liability issue. Um, you know who can you know not everybody in cooking follows the same recipe. Um, you know what if you put in a half spoon sugar less or more than you should? You know who is liable? You know it's who's going to insure it. This is, is a huge issue and I don't think it's, I don't think from the consumer, I think the consumer has to take responsibility here for what they 
we take into themselves. I can understand how calorie counting can be um, for some businesses is po- possibly a marketing tool, but for the majority, absolutely not. Um, people go out to eat, they eat what they want. And I think the consumer has to take a certain amount of responsibility for the calories that they that they take in. And I think also, you know, in um, you know, we, we've such a variety of restaurants now from healthy to lots of calories. You know, th- there's lots for people to choose from. So I don't think something like this needs to be enforced upon upon the businesses. So would you agree that there are some types of restaurants, perhaps fast food restaurants, where it is appropriate to have calories on menus? I think it's only appropriate if the business owner feels that it's a marketing tool possibly for their business. No, I, I you know, I think... Um, you know, you know that particular sector of the business obviously is quite calorie laden, um, and possibly would not welcome it um, unless they felt that you know it was a marketing tool to open a healthy chipper. But I don't believe that it probably is, and I think that's down to the business owner themselves. But I think you know you have to describe your offering as it is, and the consumer has to make a decision whether they want to eat that or not. Has the Restaurant Association of Ireland carried out any research themselves and asked the consumer what it is that they would like to see happening? Yes, I think they have. And, 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 you know, it's funny, you know, we've talked to a lot of people ourselves in business and it's not something that's quite welcomed by the consumer. Um, I think the consumer, you know, the consumer is very well educated these days when it comes to food. And I think the consumer can make an educated decision themselves on, on what they want to eat, whether it's calorie focused or whether it's, you know, what, whatever the focus is for them when they're going out to eat. So I don't think it's something that's welcomed either by the business or the consumer, to be very honest. Now, the minister has said that it's voluntary at the moment, mm-hmm. but he really wants to see all of the establishments taking it up and he is threatening to enforce this legislation. Mm-hmm. What are the implications for the hospitality industry if it does go ahead? I think the implications are very serious because I think what it's going to do, it's going to streamline a lot of menus. And I think it's going to take a lot of... Um, mystery and a lot of um, you know it's going to take a lot of the art of cooking from menus because things will have to be so streamlined for businesses to be able to you know to be able to work within certain calorie counts and so forth and especially for you know smaller businesses who change their menu every day who's who's going who like a chef owner of proper property maybe maybe with two staff who's going to go and count all the calories with the new dish that they do every day the whole time element to that is just totally prohibitive so there's a cost implication there there's a huge cost implication on the business just another cost implication Um, and I don't believe I I think the Minister has to listen has to listen to the industry the industry representatives and the consumers Um, I think that it's something that's been used as a tool um, and I don't think it's I don't think it's very fair and I don't think he's actually listened and whenever you talk about cost implications there, the first issue seems to be that you need a person, you need more man hours for somebody to Absolutely. actually go online and input the information because mm-hmm. it seems to be that this tool has been developed in order to help you mm-hmm. as opposed to actually be a hindrance to you. But you feel it's actually creating more work. I think it's I think it's a helpful tool for those who want to implement it for their business and who, who feels that it should be part of their overall business strategy when it comes to food. I think it's a helpful tool there. But I don't think it's something that should be enforced in all businesses. You know, it becomes monotonous then as well. You know, the you know Ireland now has a name for food and is becoming a foodie destination, and a lot of money by the government has been pumped into marketing Ireland as a food tourism destination. And I think calorie counting will, you know, wh- while it's good for certain certain areas of the of the sector um, it should be something that's part of the overall business strategy by the business owner it shouldn't be something that's enforced upon business so you don't feel that it actually would be helpful in terms of reducing childhood obesity and other obesity problems in Ireland Abs- absolutely but I think you know you know 
parents I'm a mother of three small kids myself I'm very conscious of what they eat but you know at the end of the day I, I, I it's not calorie counting it's what you know it's good food and proper food is what I look for and I think more of an emphasis should be put on that and supporting businesses to use proper foods um, rather than calorie counting calorie counting isn't what it's all about it's more about it's more about the, the actual quality of the food rather than calories. So what is the Restaurant Association of Ireland doing at the moment then to try and make Minister uh, O'Reilly listen and make him stand up and say, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're not going to go ahead with this legislation? Um, well, we have a, we're very lucky. We have a great chief executive, Adrian, who's um, campaigning day in, day out. I don't think this is, um, I think this is on his agenda every day at the moment because, you know, he, he's the person on the ground talking to the restaurants nationwide. He's the representative of so many restaurants nationwide and he's listening to, I suppose, the business concerns as well as the concerns for the consumer and um, he's campaigning day in day out with the minister to prevent this it should not be it should be a voluntary initiative for businesses well we wish you all the best in your fight and uh, hopefully we'll catch up later on in the year and see how it's going thank you cheers chin chin salut schleinter A quick reminder of some events now. If you're a regular listener to the programme, you'll know that we have Fulcher Ireland's Helen McDeed on at the start of every month with details of food events taking place in June. And as you heard earlier in the show, Be A Lover is on in Athenry this weekend. Dunmore East Festival of Food, Fish and Fun is also on at the weekend, starting on Friday for two days. So if you are in or travelling to County Watford, be sure to check it out. Another event that I want to mention is the return of Fiona Uyama to the Mila Gallery in City West this Thursday night for her easy Japanese meals. Check out her website fionauyama.com or email her fionasjapanesecooking at gmail.com. I've done that course and it's well worth a spin to City West. Thanks to everyone who emailed and tweeted me details of events taking place. Please keep them coming. Details can be found on discoverireland.ie forward slash food or tune in to last week's show on the SoundCloud podcast and have a listen. Bon appétit. Yummy. Grubs up. Delicious. Mmm. Okay, that's all we have time for tonight on The Best Possible Taste. A word of congratulations before I go to all the winners at last week's Restaurant Association of Ireland Awards, especially those that have appeared as guests on Best Possible Taste. Canteen in Limerick won Best Digital Marketing in Ireland. Adair 1826 won Best Restaurant in Munster. But it was Campania in Kilkenny that was crowned Best Restaurant in Ireland. And I had the pleasure of meeting Breed and Garrett there earlier this year. So well done everyone, including our very own Tom Flavin from the Limerick Strand Hotel who took charge of the fish dish on the evening for 820 people no less and seized the opportunity to showcase burn smoked salmon and silver darling herrings. We hope to talk to Tom soon about the experience. If you missed any of the programme tonight or a previous one, you'll find it all up there on soundcloud.com. Just have a look for Food and Drink Show and you'll see us there. Thanks for your company tonight to producer Gerlene O'Sullivan and all of tonight's guests. If you're heading to Athen Rye this weekend, we're going to play you out with a piece of music to get you in the mood. And until next week, bon appétit. My lonely prison wall I heard a young girl calling Michael, they have taken you 
want to get in touch with the best possible taste? Do you want to come on, share a recipe, review a cookery book, or just have a general chat about what you like to eat and drink? All you have to do is get in touch with me, Sharon Noonan, by sending an email to s.noonan at live.ie or send me a tweet at Queen of Org. Bon appétit!